Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner... It's reunion time for Martin Q. Blank as John Cusack returns to his hometown for a 10-year school reunion to show off about his success. Or not, as the case may be, because he's a professional hitman and that's not something you go blabbermouthing about. But having decided that maybe killing people for money has started to take its toll mentally, it will do that. And reconnecting with his old flame mini-driver, is it too late for him to become a better person and find happiness from 1997 it's gross points blank dear points high alumni can you believe it's been 10 years since you left gross point don't tease me you know what i do for a living i just honestly don't know what i have in common with those people anymore and what am i going to say i killed the president of paraguay with a fork how have you been Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. While in the blue corner, it's reunion time for Romy and Michelle as Lisa Kudrow and Mira Savino return to their hometown for a 10-year school reunion to show off about their success. Or not, as the case may be, because neither feels like they've done anything impressive with their life. But having decided to fib their fortunes to impress their old classmates, including mega-bitch Christy Masters, will their ruse work and at what cost to their friendship? From 1997, it's Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Remember the prom? You got so thin by then. I was so lucky getting mono. That was like the best diet ever. 
Meet Romy and Michelle. Remember that time I barfed from really bad Mexican food? So gross. I hate throwing up in public. Oh, me too. Oh. They walk the walk. God, this underwear is totally riding up my butt. <laughs> they talk the talk. Romy, did you lose weight? Oh. All I've had to eat for the past six days are gummy bears, jelly beans, and candy corn. God, I wish I had your discipline. But at their high school reunion... Are you going? I'd rather put this out in my right eye. Um, okay. <laughs> they'll be in a class by themselves. We can go to the reunion and just pretend to be successful. Oh, my God. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. What am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilley. And welcome to this week's Reunion Rockers. As Gross Point Blank goes up against Romy Michelle's high school reunion. These were Victoria's Choices this week. Victoria, tell us more. It's just a free choice. I love both of these films. So that's why I chose them. It's always a free choice, Victoria. <laughs> that's not true. It's always a free choice. <laughs> <It's not true. laughs> just because Chris, just because Chris recommends, me what and to anniversaries do. are an option. You don't have to follow the rules. You're a free spirit. Do you know? Because I'm so accustomed to not choosing, I'd forgotten to come up with a reason beyond <laughs> I was allowed to choose. <laughs> right. Well, that'll make the connection section fun. Um, <laughs> but you've got about three and a half minutes <laughs> to some... come up with something. Um, Reminders, though, of the clue uh, you gave us on last week's shows. That was uh, What a Difference 10 Years Makes. That might make for a a good connection if you're at a loose end. (laughs) All right, uh, Chris, you added to that clue on Twitter. What did did you add? Yes, I said they were both films that came out just two weeks apart in 1997. That's your laziest clue. Yeah, it's no pun. No double entendre, no nothing. Well, the obvious one is reunion, but then I thought it's just, is that too much? Or, or also, your, your clue was good really but vague. Good. It was tough. Mm. And so I wanted to give an easier clue. I think you can tell how good the clues are based on how many people get it right. We want only one person to get it right, and that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. But the 10-year thing was a little bit vague because we did get a lot of people working out how long it had been between sequels, what sequels happened 10 years after the original. Uh, by the way, uh, all of this is going on on our Twitter, at ClashPod. If you don't follow us, please join us on Twitter, at ClashPod. That would be lovely. And also, if you are feeling more verbose, you can email us. We are show at ClashPod.com. Uh, all right, the guesses rolled in uh, this week. Uh, Kieran and Daniel went for Conair versus Faceoff which is an absolute must for the future, and also films which came out just two weeks apart in that heady summer of 1997. Joel Trodden went for Dante's Peak versus Volcano, or Dante's Peak versus Volcano. Uh, They came out two months apart in 1997. And also our films that we put in the trailer as films we were definitely going to do on this show and have (laughs) have yet to come through on that promise. So we are going to have to do them at some point, which I don't mind at all. But well done, Paul Logue. He got Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and Gross Point Blank. So congratulations. And uh, FYI, this game will become a lot more fun once we have some merchandise, like a mug to send you. But at the moment, it's just our respect. So, Victoria, 
Do you want to lead us through the connection section? Have you got anything? No, because I can. I've thought of something in the three prior three minutes. Okay. Uh, uh I feel like they're films that both spawned a best-selling soundtrack album that was so successful it got a sequel soundtrack album, even though neither film got a sequel. The soundtracks are incredible to both films. Yeah, I've, I've got it written here. Is it two of the greatest soundtracks in film history, especially Gross Point Blank? Any more? Uh, this is very personal to me, but I feel like they're both R-rated films that probably shouldn't have had an R rating and if they were released today, wouldn't be R-rated. Okay. Uh, that's so interesting. <laughs> uh, next. <laughs> well, no, but I think that affected both of their box office, though. I think these would have been bigger hits. I didn't realise they were both R-rated. Yeah, and... Uh, one of, For what reason? Uh, violence in Gross Point Blank. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, language in Romeo and Michelle. What language? Yeah, I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, I'm agreeing with you is the short answer because I neither of these strike me as R-rated. But an R-rated movie is also, it's a 15. It's not an 18 in the UK. It's a 15 in the UK. Oh, OK. And I can kind of see them. It's that weird, it's the weirdness between the US system and our system because I, I think these, these do feel like 15s. The makers of Romeo and Michelle felt like young teenage girls would have watched this film in droves if they'd been allowed to. Mm. And they didn't really. I don't know if they would, but okay. Um, I don't give me that look, Victoria. We're not doing Romy and Michelle today. Um, so um, I've got one more. Is it making up jobs at your reunion? Call it what it is. Lying, basically. Uh, obviously, that is the whole crux of Romy and Michelle claiming they invented post-its. And at various points in gross point blank, John Cusack says he works at Kentucky Fried Chicken selling biscuits and gravy all over the South. He's a pet psychiatrist, sells couch insurance, tests markets, positive thinking and leads a weekend men's group that specialise in ritual killings. <laughs> No, I'll give you the real connection. The real connection is, as Jean-Paul Sartre almost said, you're nobody till someone knows you. Let's talk about existentialism through the lens of 10-year high school reunions and amazing 90s soundtracks, which you said. Um, and they did come out at more or less the same time. Uh, in fact, I didn't Disney move uh, Romeo and Michelle back because of Gross Point Blank? They did. Good. Um should we talk about existentialism? Sorry, can we talk about the fact that you're claiming that in three minutes you came up with a John Paul Sartre quote and you, you hadn't actually prepared that? It's actually a tattoo. I've got you, your nobody. You see it on my arm there. Uh, yeah, it's the norm of authenticity if you want to get into it, but we can save it. Just off the back of my little piece about lying, and there we have it. That's what lying is right there. She came prepared <laughs> with a lie. <laughs> Oh, so uh, Victoria, uh, you gave Chris Romy Michelle and you gave me Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank was released just two weeks before Romy and Michelle. We do it chronologically. So shall I begin our journey through Gross Point Blank? Do it, Alex. All right. So, Martin Q. Blank is a professional hitman who is having a crisis of confidence with his chosen profession when he's invited to his 10-year high school reunion. He doesn't want to go, but his assistant thinks he should go. His therapist, who doesn't want to be his therapist because he's afraid of him, thinks he should go. So, he goes because he can do a hit there at the same time. Turns out the reunion is the least of his worries, as Dan Aykroyd's rival hitman is on his trail, as are some corrupt government agents and a stone-cold killer out for revenge for the accidental murder of his employer's beloved golden retriever. But love finds a way, as he rekindles his romance with a girl he stood up at the prom ten years earlier, kills the bad guys, quits his job, and quite literally, and I do mean this literally, drives off into the sunset. Ladies and gentlemen, 
For your consideration, a gross point blank. I am a pet psychiatrist. I sell couch insurance. I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Hi, I'm Martin. You remember me? Oh, I know who you are. Who I miss? Well, since you stood me up on prom night and vanished without a word. Babe, I got you, babe. I'll come home. I got you, babe. Yeah, I'm putting together a little concern. You mean like a union? Just a moment. Changed a bit. <laughs> what do you do, Martin? Professional killer. Good for you. It's a pro industry. Do you have to do postgraduate work for that, or can you can you jump right in? There's a contract out in your life, but I'm not going to do it. It's either because I'm in love with your daughter, or I have a newfound respect for life. That punk is either in love with that guy's daughter, or he has a newfound respect for life. Debbie, I'm in love with you. But I know we can make this relationship work. It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions. I just need time to change. Why don't you just join the union? This union is there going to be meetings. Of course, no meetings. I want you to think about this, and you don't have to answer it now. But Debbie, will you marry me? So, individual histories with this movie, Chris. I uh, watched it at uni. It was, it, it, I thought it was a good time for American independent film then. We, it was post Tarantino. We were getting lots of cool indie films like Your Swingers and A Go and A Fight Club and all that kind of thing. And they had a little cinema at my uni or they, they put a screen up basically every Friday night and you could go watch films. Mm. And they screened this and I loved it. Magical. So you were at uni, so was it one of those movies then that you and your friends uh, annoyed everyone else in the common room by quoting ad infinitum? <laughs> no, my, my friends weren't as geeky as me. Okay. Yeah. Who did you watch it with? F- friends who didn't care about it as much as I did, <laughs> right, 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 basically. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would convince them to come and watch. I was with the hockey team. Of course you were. I keep forgetting. <laughs> I keep forgetting. <laughs> Just love that sentence. You're yeah. so alpha, secretly. <laughs> Really secretly, but you are. <laughs> Victoria, what about you? Uh, it was on VHS uh, in Mark's room <laughs> in 19... I don't know, 2001? No. Something like that. 2002. 2002. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just went in Mark's room more than you. <laughs> right, fine. And I've only seen it once until this week, but I just loved it. Mm. And now, and it just stayed with me how much I love it, but watching it this time without having uh, had a lot of weed, I can see how much of it I missed and I still loved it. I was laughing my head off this time, hmm. but the first time around, I just didn't hear a lot of those jokes. I'm the same, but not because of weed, but because I was listening more intently because this podcast and being with such brainiacs like you forces me to do my homework. So I watched it in 1998 as I was just about to leave for London. So it's got this weird position in my life where even though it's talking about returning to your hometown, I was leaving my hometown and leaving those friends knowing that I wasn't going to see them for a while. And so in a strange way, I could relate to it in terms of what my life might be like. Will I become a hitman? <laughs> or what's going to happen when I come back? What stories will I tell? 
ringing back to Leeds to my friends there. So it meant a lot to me. And this is the second time I've watched it. And although I've kind of missed the 10-year cut-off by a little bit, I am still now sort of looking back. And it, it, it really resonates with this movie. I don't exactly know why. I think we'll discover that on this journey that we'll go on. But I really... I feel a lot for this movie and the the nostalgia hit that it gives me watching it is absolutely immense. Have either of you been to a a high school reunion? No. I was invited, but I just didn't go. Wait, you were invited? You're actually, your school had one? It was informally organised by people that I was at school with via Facebook, but it was a real thing in the pub and a lot of people went and I didn't go. Because that's that's the thing, isn't it? We don't. There's, there's no we way. We don't really do it, do we? Like, Schools don't do it though. Like you certainly all these reunions that we see in movies where you go back to your school hall and it's like the class of ten. Like no school is no. going to bring those. Fucking they are so back. yeah glad to see the back of you. I can't imagine but why the why, school. Why didn't you go? Uh, laziness. It's right. three hundred and fifty miles away, and I can't be fucking bothered. Um, and also just awkwardness. I just it couldn't face it. Like. I don't. I didn't want to. Uh, there's a lot of people I was like following the Facebook group, but there was loads of people I just didn't remember, which is really awful. So I don't want to spend the whole night being like, "Also, oh, remind me of your name, like bitch." So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> name tags, but okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but would they have had name tags in the pub? I don't know. And not and as far as I can tell, not that many people from the the school I went to moved much further afield, so they all still knew each other. And I don't want to walk into the middle of that by myself, basically. But wouldn't you have that kind of like? Check out me. How long does that last, though? Like, <laughs> half a long ago? <laughs> Not with you. Uh, check, check out me is, uh, is your raison d'etre. <laughs> but would you, would you do it rude. now Now you've got a podcast? Oh, would now you I've got go a back podcast. So yeah. you can, I'll storm you can... up there. I'll fucking show you. <laughs> you can say, um, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, actually, actually these days. Yeah. Have you ever heard of <laughs> Clash Pod? <laughs> everyone, everyone shut up. How do, I, how do I attach this to the... The pub PA. How do I attach my computer to the pub PA? Listen to this. This, this is, is me. me. My southern friends. <laughs> is, is Alex southern? No, actually. So that's a wow. huge fail. Um, tell me, Chris, have you been to one? No, there was there was one. Uh, my someone in my school organised one, and actually they got in touch with the school and organised a dinner at the school and then drinks afterwards at the rugby club. But I missed it. I was I was away. I would have gone, and I was very excited to hear all the stories from my, the mates I'm close with about the people I'd lost touch with. But I didn't get to go myself. That sucks. Where the hell were you? A work trip in the states, so uh, oh. I mean, probably better. <laughs> probably better. But I am, I'm truly gutted. Like I, I think too often I ask them, "Well, tell me about what that bloke was like." I, I want to hear all these stories because I am intrigued. But also, I think I would have felt the embarrassment that some of my friends felt of not remembering people and people's names, yeah. and that was a that was a real thing. Yeah, I've never been to one, and I really it really upsets me that I haven't been to one because reunions for me, you know what, I, you know how much I love like uh, American cinema, and like it's like a, a drive-in. Like I've never really experienced a drive-in, and I really mm. feel like I want to experience like that slice of Americana. And a school reunion is the other one. I really, I'll, I, I, no doubt, it will be disappointing. But I would love to go and be there and be like, oh, I'm doing it. Oh, I'd God. love to see Alex at a school reunion. Would you? I think it'd be funny. Why? Because no one would care. (laughs) And he'd be sad. (laughs) He'd say, do you remember when I had that briefcase? (laughs) Oh, my God. I'd take it with me. I've still got it. Still got it. Did I ever mention that? I used to carry a briefcase. Uh, So, good. All right, then. Well, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the uh, backstory uh, to Gross Point Blank. It was written by Tom Yankovic, uh, who... 
wrote it in 1991 after he received a letter to his own 10-year high school reunion. And he said, you feel in competition with your classmates, you feel you have to justify your life. So I thought there would be a lot of comedic and dramatic possibilities if the guy just happened to kill people for a living. Uh, He didn't actually go to his uh, 10-year high school reunion. Uh, He said, I'd have Martin go for me instead, is what he decided. Although the letter he received is pretty much ad verbatim, the one that Joan Cusack reads to John Cusack at the beginning of the movie. That is the letter he received inviting him back. Uh, He was working as a cashier at uh, a big department store called Big Lots uh, in Michigan and uh, simultaneously as a substitute teacher when he wrote it. I mean, he didn't do many interviews. Uh, He was quite shy by all accounts and... uh, one of the few interviews he did, uh, he did with his local paper uh, in Upland, Michigan. Uh, although I did find one from 2013 uh, from his brother, Pat, uh, who talked about how uh, when he got the letter, it really put a firecracker uh, under him. And he really started working on the script because he knew where he wanted to be, uh, but he wasn't there yet. It freaked him out. It made him very productive and he got serious about gross point. He was a huge fan of crime fiction and Charles Bronson movies, which is how he came up with the hitman angle. Uh, Now I'm talking about him in the past tense because quite sadly, uh, he died um, at the young age of 49. Uh, He was actually uh, at a Q&A session following a screening of Gross Point Blank at California State University as part of their psychology and movies class. And he collapsed uh, during the Q&A and sadly died afterwards. And so this is the only screenplay that uh, he got made. He did have another one that he was working on that DreamWorks uh, did buy uh, called Kung Fu Theatre, which sounds great. Uh, uh, It was envisioned as an action comedy set in the present day about a man who somehow becomes trapped inside a 1970s kung fu flick and has to fake his way through it. Kung Fu Theatre, apparently... uh, Loads of people were slated for the lead role at various points. Jamie Foxx, Eddie Griffin, Marlon Wyans. And each time a new cast member was brought in, he was brought back to retool the script. Uh, David Carradine was going to be in it playing himself. uh, But it's still obviously uh, never been made. Uh, uh, Although his brother does say some of it was rolled into Kung Fu Panda because DreamWorks owns... That script. Uh, he did carry on working as a script doctor, though. So that is the man who wrote Gross Point Blank. Um, it was bought, in the end, by John Cusack's uh, new production company, New Crime Productions, in Chicago. And then him and his buddies went about rewriting the script. Uh, they include people who are actually in the movie. We'll get to that. Uh, but one of the authors of the script, along with John Cusack, was uh, Steve Pink, who's in the movie as the brilliant character, Rent-A-Cop Terry. You know the really funny role when he goes to the estate agent? Yeah, that's a guy called Steve Payne. He's so good. He's great in it. Really good. He's great in it. And he wrote that, and he also went on to write High Fidelity. And? Direct. No, I wanted to talk about Hot Tub Time Machine. (laughs) (laughs) Because I fucking love that film. It's a good film. (laughs) It's a brilliant film. Yeah. I mean, you could have paired it with (laughs) something. It's kind of a reunion. Uh, Oh... No. no. Should we talk about... Let's do that this week. Okay. <laughs> Hot Tub Time Machine is brilliant. 
Why did you want to talk about it? Yeah, what do you want to say? No, I didn't. I just wanted to say it. I just okay. wanted to say hot to time machine. Just in case yeah. you forgot, that's all. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a solid movie. Um, so they started rewriting it and they brought on... Apparently there was only one director in the world who they wanted to direct this. And that director was Get Carter director George Armitage. And they brought him on. Well, when you say Get Carter, that must be the American Get Carter. Yeah, the <laughs> remake with Sylvester the remake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because Mike Hodges was still going. I wouldn't call it. It's not fair on Mike Hodges to make it sound like. <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. I like that story. Okay. okay. I mean, we, as far as remakes go, it's probably, it's one of the few that you can say is better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is saying that because he knows I want to do Get Carter on here. <laughs> the, slide, the original. The brilliant, the brilliant slice to love movie, Get Carter. <laughs> uh, no, to be perfectly honest, I don't know a lot of George Armitage's work. I went through his CV and it's not stuff that um, I've actually seen, like Hitman or Miami Blues. Uh, anyone? Miami Blues is fantastic. So and I, actually so that has an influence on something we'll talk about at the end of this movie. Okay. Okay. Um, so he... Uh, decided that he didn't want to make a movie over 100 pages long and the script was uh, currently about 132 pages that they'd put in and uh, he's another guy um, who didn't do many interviews but I found one that he'd done uh, about five years ago uh, someone had just sort of he'd ended up on a comment section on a board and uh, no it was film comment he spoke to yeah but they, they the, the journalist found him because right, he was okay. answering people's comments on a board oh Some, yeah nice someone said on this board they were like I don't think he works anymore because he's had a, he's had a stroke <laughs> and they went and this, the, it, it was him who replied and went nope just, I'm fine I'm fine no stroke <laughs> just sulking <laughs> <laughs> so they got hold of him and he was talking about it and it was his first interview for years he was basically uh, saying uh, that he did as much as them uh, rewriting it he said I uh, I'm, he said to John Cusack and everyone, look, I'm not doing anything over 100 pages. They said, OK. And they did a rewrite and it came back at 150 pages. So he said, OK, you guys are fired. And I spent most of pre-production rewriting the screenplay, getting it down to 102 pages. Then on set, we would improvise. And I noticed that some of the stuff I'd cut out was in the improvs. They were bringing back stuff I'd cut out. <laughs> not technically an improv. <laughs> <laughs> But we had a good time making it. He said he could have had a writer's credit, but he didn't because he thought everyone's percentage would drop and they'd get screwed, which sounds like a nice thing to do. A little on the cast, um, they basically assembled John Cusack and a lot of his friends mm. for this movie. And uh, uh, Jeremy Piven, he went to school with, obviously. His brother Bill has a very small role in it. Anne Cusack's in it. Joan Cusack's in it. Uh, a lot of people. Alan Arkin was from the Chicago Famous improv group, Second City, as was Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Minnie Driver was the only sort of really fresh face who'd not worked with any of them before, but she says they sort of let me in magnanimously and it's quite nice to be part of all that. I mentioned that because I think as you go through this film, it's very clear these people are friends mm. and it makes this film a very special film because of the way they interact and the way they improvise together. It reminds me of the way... You see something like a, a an Adam McKay movie mm. working, like an Anchorman movie or a Paul Feig movie, where he's so big on the improv and so open to that. And that spontaneity that you see on screen is just quite exciting. Yeah, and I think the casting of, of John Cusack in particular is really important because it's a tricky role he's playing. He's playing a cold-blooded killer. Mm. 
And how do we as an audience identify with that character and want him to find love mm. with a very nice woman? Mm-hmm. It's a tricky thing, but I think because mm-hmm. we, you know, our generation grew up with John Cusack, watched him age, and, and he played all these lovable teenage characters, yeah. that you bring that baggage and that information with you. And I think it makes Martin Blank all the more likeable. Mm. Whereas if it was someone else, and someone you'd not seen before, I don't know if you'd like this guy. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because... That shouldn't play a factor, really. If, if we're absolutely honest, that shouldn't play a factor because if you're an actor taking a role in a movie, you should be judged just on your performance in that movie because otherwise you're judging them on their CV and, I guess, to a certain extent, their fame or whether they've been pigeonholed into a certain role, like all the teen movies that he did. Yeah, yeah but you can be ke- you can be clever with it, can't you, and, and, and cast people against type. So, you know, Alfred Hitchcock taking Cary Grant or James Stewart and turning them into bad guys, and it's... It, it it keeps the audience on their toes, and I think I think that's what happened here in in terms of um, this is a bad guy, and you really like him. Yes, you I mean really he sp- he spends a lot of the film trying to justify why he's killing people uh, to his psychiatrist and to this woman, uh, uh, and yet still at the end, I'm not sure I buy it. <laughs> he likes killing people. Not by the end he doesn't. He's gone off it. <laughs> no, he says that's the, one of the best lines. He says you get to like it, which is such a get out, isn't it? Like you, I don't like it, but I got to like it. It's different. Well, no, because I think what doesn't he say at one point he was when he when he's doing his big reveal. Well, it's at the end, but you know, as is your want. I don't mind that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. very, very, very See how I've made you do it. As is your want, Victoria. We'll do the end Yay. at the start. Okay. <laughs> Benny, when he's basically saying to um, Mini Driver, he's he's saying, "I was dressed up. I was all ready for the reunion. I was wearing the suit, and I was just sitting there. And I just realised more than anything in the world, I wanted to kill somebody." Yeah. So he'd started by wanting to kill somebody. He didn't get to like it. He liked it. But that's why he joined the army. So, yeah. 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 Which is the nicest reason to join the army. I guess. <laughs> I want it's to the kill. most honest reason. <laughs> uh, obviously, um, I didn't sort of go too big into this because it's not the movie I watched, but I think it is worth referencing. Uh, it's a bit of a satire on the Reagan area and the Bush area. I watched it as a romantic comedy with a hitman. Yeah, me too. But um, just uh, for uh, completionists' sake, uh, John Cusack says, I grew up fascinated by people in the Reagan administration, their ethics, their mercenary values. Uh, He said, people who plan wars and then go home to their wives and their kids, how do they live? To me, gross point blank was a metaphor for the people in the Bush White House Mixing presidents there, but fair enough. Uh, he says it's a black comedy about the American dream, that win at all costs personality you see every day. A tongue-in-cheek look at the American value system. So that's uh, pretty much the backstory. Anything that you'd like to add to the history of how Gross Point Blank became Gross Point Blank? Uh, I guess the only thing is this quote that in that same interview, George Armitage says, he says, with Gross Point Blank, I shot three movies simultaneously. We shot the script as written, we shot a mildly understated version, and we shot a completely over-the-top version, which was usually what we used. Um, I don't believe that. That doesn't happen on film sets. You don't get to shoot three different movies, and every day they're like, oh, yeah, just pick which one's your favourite. I think George might be misremembering this. Yeah. Rose-tinted spectacles. Uh, and also, I, I, when I read the quote where he goes, so I said to, I said to John Cusack and Steve, Steve Pink, I said to all of them, you're fired. I'm like, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know nah. that you, I couldn't tell if it was either he's joking or he's he think he's he thinks he fired the people who are in the movie and wrote the movie and <laughs> owned the movie, which seems unlikely. Classic Armitage. Oh yeah. Uh, right then, let's go through this beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, so uh, we start seeing uh, exactly what Martin does. John Cusack is a hitman. He is on a hit. He is waiting with a sniper rifle for a cyclist to come down who is going to kill what looks like a mob boss. I don't know. And then he kills a cyclist while he's on the phone dealing with Marcella, his secretary, played by his sister, Joan, Craw- uh, Joan Crawford. Joan, uh, <laughs> That's the film. <laughs> Joan Cusack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then Dan Aykroyd pops out and murders the mob boss and the hit goes wrong. Uh, first things first, it's a beautiful action sequence. It's really well directed. It looks fucking cool. This movie goes, we're not just doing a comedy about a hitman going to his reunion. We're going to deliver in the action stakes because that cyclist coming down, the way he pulls his gun, the way that John Cusack tracks the sniper rifle in time with the cyclist from judging his speed across the wall to the other window is <laughs> all fucking brilliant. I loved it. And then we find out uh, that Dan Aykroyd is putting together a kind of hitman's union <laughs> and he wants John Cusack to become part of it. Uh, and John Cusack's reply is, and for the record, 90% of what I'm going to be saying during this podcast is going to be quotes from this movie because that is all I did for this entire film, just write down quotes. And he goes... That's something to look forward to, isn't it, Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> Don't pour at me with your dirty little guild. <laughs> a great line. Uh, I I don't want to fat shame here, but Dan Aykroyd, I do not buy as a brilliant assassin. I think you need to be in better shape to do the job that he's doing. I mean, if we have any uh, hitmen listeners, it would be good to know. I'd argue that depending on your modus operandi for killing, because his appears to be surprise or, later on, sniper rifle out of a van. If you're always killing at distance or straight out of the shadows, then if you never plan to be in a fistfight... You can be fat and be a hitman. I like his casting, though, because I think the best fast-talking actor is John Cusack or Dan Aykroyd. Mm. Like, I don't think many people talk as quickly as they do on screen and you completely buy it, that they can just go 100 miles an hour. So when they're actually talking to each other, I'm absolutely in heaven. I think it's brilliant. I'm going to shock Vicky right now. Uh, <laughs> Put it away, Alex. your favourite Ghostbuster? <laughs> is that what you're going to say? No, I'm going to say this performance of Dan Aykroyd in this movie is possibly my favourite Dan Aykroyd mm. performance, more so than Ray Stantz in Ghostbusters. Mm. I really do. I think he's great in Ghostbusters, yeah. and I think he's the heart of the Ghostbusters. Yes. But I do think, funniness-wise, he's not the funny one in Ghostbusters, no. and not even just because he's standing next to Bill Murray. But here, he's really fucking funny. And he was a big selling point, I remember, for me wanting to see this. Not only did I love John Cusack, but it was like, you know, it was it was front and centre in the trailers. Dan Aykroyd's playing a, a, a mean killer, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. who, who's the villain of the piece. And that was a, an exciting thing to see because so seldom do you get to see Dan Aykroyd doing that kind of thing. See, I'm the opposite. When I first watched this and John Cusack kills him, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the idea that Dan Aykroyd died in this movie because he was, yeah, the villain, and I kind of got that, but he was also so funny. And I'm like, you can't kill him. Hmm. It's Dan Aykroyd. And they He's so likeable. And they almost seemed like friends as well, didn't yes, they? Although, yeah. although they, were, they were sparring with each other. But yeah. I guess, but that's the truth of this story, is that they're also cold-blooded killers. Therefore, one of them's got to go. 
Watching it this time, I, I didn't have a problem with him dying, but I, I think just because my reference point was him, was his, the lovable Ray Stance, I couldn't deal with him having a TV smashed over his head. Um, so that was a bit of a shock. But this time I was fine with it because, you know, the world's taken its toll. Uh, then um, we find out that... Um, his secretary's still on at him about going to this reunion and he's like, he refuses with the wonderful line, I don't know what I have in common with any of them <laughs> or anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is uh, just beautiful. Uh, then he goes to see uh, the brilliant Alan Arkin, who's his therapist, uh, which I, I wrote down, God, isn't it great that these scenes are so long? Because it's a long scene. Uh, but it's, it's great, you know. It's, um, Alan Arkin is wonderful. Uh, again, mm-hmm. from the Second City Improv Group, so he can hold his own in the improv. And he says, don't kill anybody for a few days. See how it feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also says, you know, uh, this this relationship doesn't work. Uh, I can't be your therapist because I'm afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that did start this little, you know, cottage industry of this subgenre of uh, two years later, you got The Sopranos and analyze this in the same year, doing the same thing about a, you know... A hitman having a crisis, or, or a gangster having a crisis of conscience, and seeing an analyst, and 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 how that relationship goes. And and to be honest, they kind of stole this shtick a little bit. Yeah, I don't remember uh, seeing it before this. Um, the Sopranos isn't played for laughs as much, obviously, but there's still humour in those scenes. And analyze this; it's obviously the com- the comedy between a, a killer and a, and, a, and, a, and a therapist. So, and I don't know if you've seen. Bill Hader's sitcom Barry. I've watched. That's so weird. I watched the whole thing about a month ago. Did you? Yeah. yeah. It's the same. I mean, it could be gross point blank, isn't it? It's very, I think there's. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Weird one though. I mean, I really enjoyed Barry, but to go back to what you were saying about Cusack and this, mm. like, there's a warmth to this, despite Agreed. the fact that this is pretty much identical <laughs> in plot to Barry. <laughs> Barry's dark and upsetting mm. and. You know, yeah. he's cl- he's much more. You do not empathise with him no, nearly as agreed. much as you do with Keith. This is this is more wholesome. Yeah. Mm. So then he goes. Uh, he decides to uh, go to his reunion, and we get uh, the signature track of this movie: the wonderful Violent Femmes with "Blister in the Sun." Isn't it beautiful? Yes. Doesn't it warm your heart? It's amazing. I don't think I'd ever heard this song before I watched this film, mm. and then I went to Australia. Because this, this was not a hit single anywhere in the world. No. Uh, I went to Australia. Everyone in Australia knows this song and loves <laughs> this song. They go friggin' mental when this comes on. And I, I asked someone eventually while, while I was travelling around, apparently when they start learning music in Australia, this is the first song everyone's taught when you're starting on guitar or starting on piano. Okay. Blister in the Sun. And so every Australian has a relationship <laughs> with this song from childhood. And so it's really like the Beatles for them. This or like green sleeves is for us. Like yeah, when you're learning so. the recorder. I guess so. <laughs> uh, people love it here though. I, I, when, uh, when I used to DJ, put, put CDs on. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 90% of DJs do that. Uh, so uh, when I used to DJ and I'd put this on, people loved it. But it was song. because of this. This was an obscure song. Like that band said they had a completely new lease of life because of this film. This was not in heavy rotation, this song, before 1997. That's right. a fact. Well, all right. Well, it's one of numerous good songs. Um, just because it's a mini class right now, uh, and it would help me to understand where you sit on this uh, from which soundtrack of these two movies did you prefer Romeo and Michelle or Gross Point Blank I'm just going to answer without thinking Gross Point Blank but only yeah. because 
uh, of like it's just an it's an indie disco hit after hit. So it's like going out, mm. but also watching a film. Yeah, the Clash might be my favourite band. Yeah, and there's a lot of Clash on here. Oh so. shit! I totally forgot. Yeah, sorry. Joe Strummer of the Clash did yeah. the score. That was mm-hmm. my other fact that I missed out in the background. Yeah, Joe Strummer put together the score of the movie, which uh, is obviously why it's so so good. Although there is one song on Romy Michelle that is so good that sh- kind of should have been on here. I know what you're going to say. Go it's on. the No Doubt song. That's what you think. I, I do love that song, but it's not that. It's okay. actually Turning Japanese by The Vapors. Oh, yeah. I really think that, that should be on the uh, gross point <laughs> plank. Picking and choosing. Uh, so he goes back to uh, his high school hometown. And uh, here's my first little problem with this movie. When he bumps into his teacher, Mrs. K, yes. outside his school. It's that conversation because she's like dressed like Mary Tyler Moore. And he references that. But for the first time, I noticed that Every character in this movie speaks in the same way. Yeah. Like, there's no real differentiation between, like, this this tone, which I guess is a signature of a writer, and, you know, you you look at other movies and you sort of go, well, that's the way the writer sounds, but I, just the, the way she goes, she goes, that's a nice tie you have on Martin. Are you a mortician? And it's just like... It feels like he's she's doing the same kind of mm. stick he was doing with his sister at the start, where he, he goes like, oh, hello, Sergeant Pepper, because she's <laughs> wearing the military jacket. And I suddenly went, oh, I don't know that that teacher would yeah. say something Well, like I that. said this before, I nearly brought this up as a, as a connection in the films. Do you not think this is a bit post-Tarantino as well, in the way people are talking a bit cooler than people in real life do and making references that people in real life don't make all the time? I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm not, I'm not saying it as criticism because I like what he does, but I did feel like this was one of those films that got greenlit off the back of, of Pulp Fiction. I wonder. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Could be. I'm thinking. I think maybe the problem... It's not a problem, but it, it's, it hints at a relationship that's then not developed because they've obviously got a really mm. easy back and forth. It's a lovely moment. Yeah. Really, and it's really funny. Yeah. But why do you, why do you remember each other so well? And are we going to meet you again later? Because otherwise, kind of, what's the point mm. of that exchange, mm. as good as it is? Let's mull that while we take a break. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Welcome back from the break. Uh, okay, time to talk about one of my favorite places uh, for numerous reasons, but least of all uh, its entrance into the movie. And uh, when we get to the bits, there was a very close moment where I was going to pick this as my most valuable whatever in this film, Ultramart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bloody love it. Do you like a shop? I've written down Ultimart. Ultramart, yeah, you're right. No, okay, Ultramar. he loves it that much, he doesn't know what it's called. <laughs> I keep I keep writing down Ultramart, because I think there was an Ultramart near where I lived in Leeds. There wasn't. There, I think there was. There was a spa, and that was it. <laughs> there actually was a spa. And was, they built a co-op across the road. There was a Safeway, but that went. Um, a little journey into uh, the LS8 uh, postcode of Leeds there. Uh, in the end, the Safeway went because they built a, a genuinely still the biggest Tesco I've ever been in on Round Hay Road, um, which is why I think the Grand Ways uh, further down closed. It was a real supermarket war. Actually, it's great. Let me just write that down. It's a great idea for a film, this. Supermarket <laughs> wars. Should, should we all clap now so that Katie can edit this out? <laughs> I am, I'm slowly building a, a die-hard fan base for uh, supermarket conversations about Leeds. Right, uh, so Ultimart... Um, the Guns N' Roses cover of Live and Let Die playing as he drives up to his old family home, which has become this Ultimart, and gets out of the car. First of all, that's one of the greatest covers ever, for real. Uh, genuinely, no, it, it is. Um, it is. It is. Mm. What, right. what do it's you better. mean? It is, mm. It's better than yeah, the, no, the OG just is. It's all right. It's all right. Yep. No, I'm not. I'm not. Arguing with you about it. It feels like you are. It feels like you won't admit to it and you just sort of it's mumble fine. in. It's, good. it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Good. It's all right. It's, it's good. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, it's it's not. It's brilliant. But then when he gets out and it's playing and then the doors open, slide open and he walks into the ulti mart <laughs> and it turns in, it picks up the same song, but a Muzak version mm. is great. Little touches like that. Diegetic music. What? Yeah. That's I mean, when you're hearing the music that they're hearing in the film. Oh, didn't know that term. Hmm? It's coming back. It's coming back a bit later in this podcast, if I'm honest. <laughs> so I have a question. Okay. What do you think his relationship is with his dad? Because when he turns up at the grave of his dad, so he's gone to see his mum in the care home. I don't really have much to say about that other than she's um, uh, another Second City Hold improv on. player. Didn't they have you, they had the shootout in the no, Ultimart? No, not yet. That comes up later. Yeah. Right. They, okay. He returns to the Ultimart. Did you think... My notes are terrible. Then. Does I, th- I had a, only a little bit more to say about when he goes to see his mum and she doesn't remember him. Because that's another clue as to why he's such a literal blank, because nobody knows him. Existentialism. He has no one to prove who he is outside of his own frame of reference of himself. Does Mm. that make sense? Yeah. So his mum doesn't know him, and that's obviously catastrophic. Um, But she says to him, she doesn't say, like, who are you? She says, no, you're a handsome devil. What's your name? And he says it to himself later, which means he's clearly not all right with that because it's stuck with him. And that's the only, like the thing that he takes from the obviously the sadness but taking from that interaction with his mum her one line that's almost a compliment but not because she hasn't got a clue who he is that's deep yeah so then his other family member being his father when he visits the grave yes and I couldn't work out 
I watched it initially, and when he sort of pours a bottle of Glenfiddich onto his dad's grave. Yeah. And you're sort of like, I, I was like, is that a nice gesture? Did his dad love Glenfiddich? Is it, is it a kind of thing? His dad would love this. I'm going to give him a bottle of whiskey. But then he drops the bottle on the grave as well. And you're like, actually, was his dad a terrible drunk? And yes. is this a bad thing? That's what I thought. Oh, but- I didn't read it like that because I've just watched, um, is it called The Farewell? The Chinese American yeah, film. Yeah. yeah. So they go to an elder person's grave and it's custom to leave food and drinks mm. and they and they put a cigarette there for him. So, and that's a nice gesture yeah. because they don't want him to be hungry. Yeah. I, I think the pouring of the whole bottle, though, and then the throwing of it down oh. made me think, yeah, this he, he lost him to alcoholism and he's still angry about it. You get that later. I think it's confirmed later in the film where he says something along the lines of not having a very good childhood or a good role model. But at that point, I wasn't sure. But yeah, it's it's not good. And then he does this thing. He turns up at Mini Driver's radio station. The girl who he left on the... Didn't pick her up on prom night, left her in Bastard. a dress. She's not really over it. Um, and he turns up and she says... He goes, hi, it's Martin. And she goes, I know. You're not dead. <laughs> and that moment is something that it's really upset. Like, it's upsetting that that won't happen anymore to people. Like, for, probably for good. Probably it's a good thing. But also, you don't get to, you can't ever walk back into people's lives anymore after sort of 10 years and go, hello, I'm back. Because that, that's, that's social good. media. Yeah, but that's good, isn't it? You don't, is it though? Yeah. Well, you don't, you want to leave people in suspense essentially for 10 years <laughs> while you wait to decide that you are ready to go back and see them. Is that what you're saying? I think for both of them in that situation though, because she's really happy to see him. She's and- not that happy. I don't read it like that at all. She's very angry, but not as angry as she should be. Minor gripe. Um, but the, so you will have read that the, so they kiss. Or she kisses him. And that was improvised, Hmm. apparently. But it makes perfect, perfect sense. It's like, just get that cleared, because that's just get that done, and then we can have a conversation. I like that kiss. Yeah, me too. I like that kiss a lot. I think it's such a good moment. I think it's it's a shame. I think it's good that the kiss happens and she doesn't hit him, and then she does hit him later, and then by then it's clearly too late. Because it felt electric, though. It's sometimes hard to, to show raw passion on the screen. And I think that split second where she does that, I felt you felt the electricity between the two of them. And his reaction is completely natural because, like Vicky says, it was spontaneous on the day. She just brought it to that scene in that moment, which is, again, what I was saying at the start about this whole movie has an energy about it because Mm. no one really knows exactly what the other person's going to say. So there's a lot of natural reactions in this film, which makes every relationship just that tiny iota more believable. Yeah, and she does a really good job of dragging that character back. not to, It's not such a hard job to do because the writing's so good, but there's a small danger, red flag, of a manic pixie dream girl element. Like, making him do the radio interview is a little bit like that. And later on, minor, minor thing, when they're in the bedroom and they do the aeroplane lift and mm. she's giggling, it's like grown people don't do that, but manic pixie dream girls do. Like, oh, let's fuck around or whatever. And But she makes sure, Mini Driver makes sure it doesn't veer too much into that territory possibly because she kisses him and isn't waiting to be kissed and there's and then lowers down like the sort of ditzy stuff. Are you saying you've never done the aeroplane to Mark? <laughs> That's true. If it was the other way around, it may be physically impossible, but it would be better. <laughs> I'm thinking, I, I think she was giggling then, like, because I think she was genuinely scared. Like, I think it was <laughs> adrenaline. You know, like when you are terrified and adrenaline hits you, because that would be scary to do. 
in real life, for real, on the set. It doesn't look like there's a lot of padding anywhere. I kept watching that scene. And when well, he they're on a bed, down, so... I know, but you could, you could go over that side, you know? You could tip over the side. You land badly, all over. John, like that. Light's gone out. Dead. Dead. So, um, yeah, I... <clears throat> I uh, yeah, I think... Um, I think that scene's great in the radio station. I don't think she's a manic pixie dream girl. I think she's so in control and so dictating the rules by which he she will let him back in to her life. Yeah, that you know that moment she says you don't get the right to have me back or she says words to that effect and I I like yeah. that. I thought that's You exactly, don't get to have me. Yeah. You don't get to have me. That's exactly what she should be saying to him. Mm. Yeah, but are you, are you, are you, just to go back to that original point, so you don't think that... I, I quite like the idea. I, if someone who I hadn't seen for 10 years, who I hadn't Facebook stalked, for example, hypothetically, like... You like, want them to think you're dead. Is that what you're saying? I'd like I'd like that. You'd be. like it for your ego. <laughs> That's what I'm... Sorry, was I not clear? Right, yeah, you are being The clear only now. person well, that that benefits is, is you. Me. yeah. And it hurts the other person because <laughs> they don't understand your intention right. and they don't know where you are and they don't know what you're thinking until you decide to walk back and say, sorry about that. So they're the Unle- unless, unless they watch RuTube. <laughs> and then they would, they would know. But this then is the problem. Know, yeah. this, yeah. What I'm saying is you don't, I don't get to do that. No, because no. you chose to be on the television. Right. So. Stop, stop making it about you. <laughs> this is not your film. Oh, okay, this is the problem, though, because I, I think it is my film, and that's that's why there's going to be a lot of me, 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 because I, I think I am Martin Black. Oh, God, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> but I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of I, I think a lot of people go, yeah, that's just like me, because he's uh, uh, incredibly cool and also... <laughs> So your modesty is just um, <laughs> too much in this small room. This is giving me flashbacks to bloody Patrick Bateman now. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, she does also have the wonderful line in that scene, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, uh, then we get Jeremy Piven coming in as Paul. He's really great in this. Again, another old friend of John Cusack, as I said. So they have this really great chemistry, which is wonderful. Uh, you get that great bit with Steve Pink as Terry, the rent-a-cop, and uh, him <laughs> and Jeremy Piven going at each other because Jeremy Piven's going... Did you get a call, Terry? Did you get a call? <laughs> and Terry's like, hey, I'm more part of this neighbourhood than you, which is wonderful. Um, and then uh, we are into the shootout scene that you brought up. Mm. It went a little bit early on that one. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, fantastic scene uh, set to uh, the fantastic song Ace of Spades by Motorhead. Um, it's just a brilliant scene. I have a real affection for shootouts that take place in very everyday settings like convenience stores mm. and so i think it really works for me thoughts on the shootout well the the fact that the guy that's shooting him is someone that has been on a couple of episodes so we're big fans of this guy here yeah. Benny Urquidez. <laughs> Benny the Jet, I call him. I think that's easier. <laughs> so, yeah, we did Roadhouse and Street Fighter, uh, which he was... Oh, in. shit, I remembered Street Fighter. I couldn't remember Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah, he's in Roadhouse, yep, yep. Yeah, he, I remember a bit, I remember talking about him on the Street Fighter episode because he had, like, I think he had, like, three weeks to train people from scratch when they changed the <laughs> oh, schedule <yeah. laughs> to do martial arts, and it kind of shows. He's a very unusual-looking dude as well. He's very striking-looking. Once seen, you don't forget him. Yeah. So, you know, he pops up earlier in the film, and you're like, oh, it's that guy. And then, of course, he's 
he's on his tail, so we're supposed to recognise him. And I mentioned it before, but if you ever want to see him like, at his prime uh, fighting Jackie Chan, there's a 1984 movie called Wheels on Meals, and the fight is on YouTube and you should watch it because it's one of the greatest fights ever. Uh, we haven't mentioned the two corrupt FBI, not FBI, government agents. Uh, Hank uh, Zaria is one of them because uh, I remember it because it's the brilliant thing where they're talking about him and they go, his name is Steve Lardner, a.k.a. Steve. Which <laughs> <laughs> is uh, a really good line. Uh, again, uh, Benny, uh, Benny DeJet's name, by the way, is Felix La Poubelle. La Poubelle. Felix La Poubelle. Uh, so... It was at this point that I wrote a note to myself. This film really does give me a, a massive nostalgia hit. And I wondered what you guys thought about that, because I'm watching these people's story unfold in front of me. And yet, as I'm watching it, I can't help but think about my own childhood and like returning or at least returning to my own hometown. Well, I guess what's interesting is they're harking back to a time when they were the same age we were when this film came out. So I'd left school a year before. Mm. You were leaving school that year. You were to leave school in a couple of years. Yeah. So I think there is a nostalgia thing there where... And then if you watch this film 10 years later, we were the same age as them. But the first time we watched it, we were the young yeah. versions of them. And so I think there's something in that in terms of... I think if you watch this the first time when you were the same age as them, you would feel a different thing. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, it sort of... Veered into memento slightly halfway through that, but I yeah. agree. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, we get uh, the face-off in the diner. Dan Aykroyd uh, wants two poached eggs, scrape the milky white stuff off. <laughs> uh, and then John Cusack... Uh, <laughs> John, <laughs> sorry. John Cusack uh, wants an omelette. And the waitress says, what do you want in your omelette, sir? And he goes, nothing, nothing at all. She goes, well, that's not really an omelette. And he goes... <laughs> Look, I don't want to get into a semantic argument. I just want the protein. <laughs> Told you, just a lot of quotes in my notes this week. Uh, we find out that uh, Benny the Jet is on his tail because he was on a job and he was using dynamite and uh, the guy he was trying to kill's golden retriever went and retrieved a lump of dynamite and blew up and that's why he's been marked. Uh, and then uh, we get to the reunion itself. Oh, I just wanted to see if you read this scene the same way I did. You know when he goes to pick up Minnie Driver from her house and her dad's there and they reconnect, so Martin and Minnie Driver's dad, mm. and he's like, how are you doing, Martin? And he rattles off all these this really funny line about what he's been doing to sort of show how empty his life is. And he says... Um, Six figures, doing business with lead pipe cruelty, mercenary sensibility, you know, sports, sex, no real relationships, all of that. I missed the comma between sports and sex and thought you said sports sex. And I thought, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, you're having empty, yet very aerobic and acrobatic <laughs> sex, and it's not fulfilled you. I was like, that's such a cool thing to say. And then I looked it up, and there's a comma oh, in fuck, it. And it's there just is <laughs> sports sex. So that ruined it. Sports for... sex is much better. It is, I know. What, that... what, what is it? What's sports sex? <laughs> it's just You better. played hockey, you yeah. know. Yeah. You went to a boys' school. <laughs> Those balls are hard. <laughs> uh, so uh, the reason uh, this reunion uh, opens in possibly the most epic way a reunion could ever open is even when they're pulling into the parking lot.
we care a lot. <laughs> That's Mark's favourite song. Uh, really? Yeah, he listens to it about three times a week, loudly. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. What is your first Guns N' Roses cover? No, I, like Guns, N- I like Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Faith No More. And now <laughs> Faith No More. That's a bloody brilliant song. Yeah. We care a lot. Is it because you don't have a reference point? What were you listening to in the 80s slash 90s? Idiots. Uh, the Clash. Great. Well, we covered that earlier. Anything else? <laughs> Do you know what we have to... The chil- my children, when we're driving, the route we always drive, we don't drive very far, we're always following the P4 bus. The P4 bus goes to Brixton and we were playing Guns of Brixton. So the kids were like, oh, it's the P4 song. We were like, oh, that's cute, whatever. So now they make us play it all the time, but we can't let them know it's Guns of Brixton because they're too young. So when I'm driving, I'm constantly singing, we're going to Brixton oh, rather than the Guns of Brixton all the fucking time. It's going to have very good taste in music, those kids. Oh. Better than Faith No More. Faith No More? <laughs> Are you, is there something wrong with you? Listen to Epic by Faith No More. That's a tune. There's a bloody tune. Um, all right, the music gets better because we get a little bit of uh, Under Pressure by Queen as John Cusack holds a baby and starts to understand Oh, life. I hate that bit. That's the only bit I hate. Really? I do hate that bit. I hate it when I've moaned about it before. A man does something really normal, just polite with a child, and a woman's like, Oh, uh, I'm gushing basically. Like it, she, the way she looks at him, she's just like, "Oh, okay, cool." And all he does is hold a baby, and I just, I don't like. But that. he's not the kind of guy. No. But it, if I held a baby, about... if I held a baby, I'd. You expect... can't say he's not the kind of guy that would hold a baby. He's not. Men, people, humans hold but babies. He's not that... what, but they so, held... as a robot. That the whole point is he's a killing machine and he's become a robot. And so, right. I'm not. I don't think it's about her reaction. It's more about. I mean, I don't particularly like the moment but it's about him having a moment of clarity all right then she shouldn't see it if it's yeah. if it's his moment it shouldn't be because then it isn't that the moment she's like now we can go and shag in that room because i've seen you with a baby i might have misremembered the order but i don't like it but she can't help herself if it's if it, if she's it, like you need to fertilize me immediately <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's it might be a natural reaction to seeing the man you're in love with, uh, you know, yeah, but then like, fawning no, over well, a baby. Now we're going to have a really massive argument because then it ties in attraction and women's attraction to, or the, her attraction to him to having a baby. And that's boring. Why can't she just want to shag him? Well, because maybe she's loved him for 10 years and fantasised about, you know, maybe... Having babies? Well, at least seeing him hold a baby. <laughs> Maybe that's been a fantasy for 10 years. I hope he holds no, a baby. No, you're mixing fantasy and babies. That's not good. All right, well, he does say... Who's, I, sorry, whose sexual fantasy starts with, so you were holding this baby and then no one's... Can we get off the subject really quickly? <laughs> People have gone down for less. <laughs> uh, I want it on record that it was Vicky who said, whose sexual fantasy starts with, so you're holding a baby. <laughs> It wasn't me. <laughs> Your Honour. Uh, he says, I-, I imagine they'd be very vulnerable to the elements. Uh, uh, then we get uh, Abraham shows up from Walking Dead, uh, looking exactly like a young version of Abraham from Walking Dead, Michael Kolditz. He's the bully guy who's on blow, who like reads poetry yeah. uh, to him. Uh, that uh, there's a guy like that at every un- reunion. Well, I think John Cusack said one of the things that made him want to do the film is he went to a reunion and someone was really aggressive and came at him, and then later in the night just wanted to be all pally and and sweet with him, and so that was kind of I don't know whether he brought that to the script, but that's something he'd experienced. I think there were certain 
characters that you want at a reunion, <laughs> at least in a movie, but also probably in real life. Again, never been, but looking forward to one if it happens. My friend Fraser was meant to organise one and then this whole COVID thing happened, so hopefully it's on the back burner, but I'll let you know if it happens because I'm going to go. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, it'll be in Leeds, um, probably not far from that safe way I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh, then we found the brilliant uh, Benny the Jet, John Cusack fight, nasty death, Byro in the neck, love it. Uh, uh, Mini Drive discovers it. She's like, no, I was really into the baby situation. It's the opposite, isn't it, of holding a baby? <laughs> he, did the the pen, he did the pen kill before uh, Jason Bourne did the pen kill. Mm. Oh, there you go. And then John Wick did the pencil kill. Mm. That's true. And it makes me think of ER. Remember that um, special ER in a convenience store? Tarantino directed it. Oh, did he? One with you and McGregor. Yeah, with yeah, the it was pen, Tarantino pen tracheotomy. Yep. Yeah, amazing. Great. <laughs> okay, that's what you bring. I bring supermarkets and leads. You know, different audience. I bring old telly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, when he's explaining, uh, when he's explaining that. Um, why this guy was hunting him, he says, 1,000 innocent people get killed every day, but a millionaire's pet gets detonated and you're marked for life. And then they hide the body to uh, the second best song in the film, which is 99 Red Balloons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I find that quite an annoying song and it works really, really well in this scene. Yeah, it does. I think it's a great song. Mm. Works in every depends, scene. Depends how many beers I've had. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a sober song, that one. Uh, uh, and so she runs off and then she does actually turn it back at his hotel room and that's the line you were mentioning earlier yeah. where uh, he's like, come on, let's just be together after she's seen him put a barrow in a guy's neck and he's like, she's like, you don't get to have me. Mm. And he says, you're overreacting. <laughs> she says to him, everything about you is a lie. Which isn't true because he has said throughout the movie, I'm a professional killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> they do over egg that joke, but it, it, it works. Uh, the other line that I like that he says throughout is, It's not me, as an explanation for how he's just like the middleman to other people. Um, and uh, then obviously it turns out her dad, Bart, is uh, the person that he's been sent to kill because he eventually opens a dossier. Dumb fucking luck. And uh, he decides to save the dad and he says, I am uh, I was hired to kill you, but I'm not going to do it because I'm either in love with your daughter or I have a newfound respect for life. At which point cut to Dan Aykroyd, who goes, that punk is either in love with his daughter or he has a newfound respect for life, which is a beautiful uh, and then we're sort of like working towards uh, the end now. That's pretty much it. It all winds down. Yeah, he, there's the wonderful shootout where he eventually kills Dan Aykroyd and he's professing his love to Minnie Driver as he's murdering people in front of her. And that's great. Uh, the sort of agents of the government, the corrupt agents, just get blown away. Their story's not really that great. Uh, mm. they, they just Agreed. sort of... And are they two innocent blokes getting killed? Mm, I don't know. They, they're there to stop a... Um, uh, an assassin well, that's which Martin Blanc our hero yeah, is yeah the, the way that they make you dislike those people is because they're really excited about killing yeah. Martin so you, then you think oh bad yeah, guys but, but they're they the good guys aren't they be, yeah. yeah don't know it depends on your opinion of whether anyone who works for the government is a good person <laughs> okay <laughs> I think they are oh right mm. Uh, no, I think they're meant to be corrupt agents, though. I think because they're in cahoots with Dan Aykroyd's sure. hitman, yeah. and yeah. he's sort of gone, "Come here and kill this guy." And they're like, "I think they're only they they. I think they're not. 
They're, they're, they're there to kill Martin Blank, but they're, they're just like, because they say that they have to see him do something wrong. They can't kill him until he commits a crime. Mm. Although they do see him explode a convenience store and just go, wow. Yeah, <laughs> Which, a, bit, a bit underdeveloped. A little bit. Um, and that's it. That's well, pretty much it. Well, so I was going to say, so Miami Blues, the Alec Baldwin film, uh, which Armitage directed previous to this, he killed Alec Baldwin at the end of that film and audiences hated him and it for doing that. And that's why he'd been toying with the idea of killing Martin Blank at the end of this and he didn't do it because he'd seen the audience reaction. And he said we'd shot two or three different endings. They had versions of them getting together, version of them not getting together, version of him dying, and it was Joe Roth who says that the moment, the key here is when the dad says, you've got my blessing. Mm. And that's that's when he said, you've got to then get them together. And so that's why we got the happy ending. Yeah, there was a version where they sort of sat down and talked it through and went, no, <laughs> just walked their separate <laughs> ways, which I don't think would have been so good. Joe Roth being the head of Disney at the time. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, yeah he was involved with Disney. The, the studio behind the movie. Um, I don't really have much more. Uh, or would you like to do the bits? Yep. Yes. You sound unsure, Victoria. I was just going to say, but it's, uh, I just think about like how well-crafted John Cusack and Mini Driver actually getting together is. I was I watched this as a relationship comedy. I believe they're called rom-coms. <laughs> um, never mind. It's uh, romantic comedy. Romantic comedy. <laughs> You're thinking of rel-coms. Yeah. A rel-com. Um, so, the, and it's all done in the... Obviously, there, there is a chemistry between them, but a lot of it's done in dialogue that just nails it really well because it could go wrong at so many points but the baby is an example um, but when he says to her I wanted to kill someone and he, I th- yeah, I'm paraphrasing but he says but because I love you so much I thought it was best if we never saw each other again and it's like I buy that like no problem and when she says to him she's had a life she's been happy she's not been waiting for him to walk back in actually 10 years later and just be like oh ta-da here I am she was married it didn't go very well but she's been happy and now she's still got a life ahead of her so it's like her choice to decide she will decide you know to spend the next however many years with him she's not sad she's not a wreck she's annoyed at him obviously but she's done stuff and so it comes from a position of parity and that's good writing yeah because because you yeah. but want them to be together and you could just fall back on a joke or you could fall back on him being really super cheeky and whatever and that's fine. But it isn't done like that and it still works. Mm. Doesn't he say, I'm sorry if I ruined your life? And she goes, you didn't. it's yeah. not over yet. Yeah, mm. perfect. Mm. Also, could this film function as a prequel to John Wick? Yes, absolutely. I had that thought. Yeah, Because mm. of the dog? No, because he leaves the business to be with the woman that he loves right. and then she gets sick and that's what partly what gets him out of time but yeah i just feel like it could be yeah and also the whole um idea of assassins working literally in the the, Mm. uh, daylight uh just alongside us um we don't really know about yeah all right do the bits then uh so uh, let's start with you victoria what is your best scene in this movie that kiss i just Mm. think it's so good Mm. it just it could have been so terrible if it had been scripted it might have been terrible but it isn't and it wasn't and it's great um and it is it's yeah, it's just perfect. Christoph, I'm glad you said it because I've got a couple, so that can go off my list. Um, <laughs> I re I like the shootout at the end because I think the combination of the violence and the one-liners sort of sums up the film perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I'm going with when that Ultimark kid says. He's asked him if he's all right. He says, "No, I'm not all right. I'm hurt. I'm pissed. I've got to find a new job." The way he delivers that line and then wanders off, I thought was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am going for the. Uh, 
bit just before that, which is the ultimate shootout. Bloody love a gunfight. Uh, I know it's not the whole heart of this movie. You know, there's a lot more going on, but, you know, it works because it's in this movie and I think it's great. And that's uh, what I'm picking. And I like the fact the tree collapses at the end. <laughs> it's just really is the icing on the comedy cake for a shootout. MVW, Chris. Oh, shit, I'd put Ultimate Kid saying that. I am going to go for Blister in the Sun by The Violent Femmes. <laughs> uh, because, as I said, it introduced me to this song and it's so connected in my brain with this movie when I hear that song. And it's brilliant. So, simple. Victoria? I'm, I'm tempted by the soundtrack, but I'm going to say, because of the lines she gets and delivers, Joan Cusack. So, it's not funny. No, sorry, not to have a go. It's not that funny just to read out lines, but I, I will. So. <laughs> Uh, you do it better than me. Hey, oh, yeah. hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Um, when she's describing to John Cusack about what people have been up to to try and tempt him into going to the reunion, she just says that someone owns a cheese shop. I think that's fucking brilliant. Um, and then when she's on the phone to someone and just says carrots and celery are just the base of a soup, it won't taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who makes fucking loads of soups all the time, I, and she's so right. I mean, I feel... I feel like I shouldn't say this because you just said reading out lines isn't funny, but if you're going to read them out, if you want to get them right... Oh, I got it wrong! Just a little bit. What she says is, carrots and celery are just the base of a soup. You have to add other flavours. Oh, it's, she it's... doesn't say it won't taste of them. No, are you sure? No, you're not sure. Look at your face. I'm pretty sure. You're not, it doesn't matter how pretty <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, mine is... Oh, I can't believe no one's picked him, but I'm picking him. John Cusack. This is an amazing performance from him. I just think he's incredible. It's my favourite John Cusack movie. I love him as an actor. Is it? Yeah, and I think he's so good in this. Uh, I really do. I've got a lot of favourite John Cusack movies, though. I feel like they're all... There's just a bunch of movies from the 80s and early 90s that all are just on this level. He's just... It was such quality what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. I agree with Alex. So this is my favourite John Cusack awesome. movie. Yeah. Uh, so finally, then, um, if there's something you'd change, what would it be, Victoria? No, um, Chris. Uh, uh, Victoria, you want to go? No, Chris, you go first. No, Victoria. <clears throat> um, I wouldn't. I'd hardly change anything because I think it's perfect. So if this is me, if I have to pick, maybe make a bit more in the plot of the Basque killer uh, Benny the Jet following him around. Because Martin does move around town fairly freely and then danger sort of flashes up. But that's it. I mean, and that's a crappy thing to say because I don't really have anything I'd change about it. I love it. Chris? Mine's very specific. So I talked about how much I love the diegetic music in this film because Deb says uh, it's an all 80s weekend for the reunion and it's amazing. It means we get all these brilliant 80s songs. And as soon as she says that, Rudy by The Clash comes on. Awesome. Then... Martin Blank drives to where his house should have been. And a song comes on, The Stereo, which is a 1991 cover of a 1973 film. It is not an 80s song on that radio station. It's called Live and Let Die by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and it really annoys me. Don't. It's literally the next scene. If it's an all-80s weekend, that's all she's playing on the station, don't then give me a 1991 cover. That is so petty. I don't really think that should be... I'm unhappy that that is your change. I think it's small-minded. Spe- you should speak to the filmmakers then, because they're the ones that messed up, not me. I just think I, I, it's a shame that you've... All right, she should say it's an all-80s weekend apart from, from 1991 song. songs uh, from the 70s. I just think 
<laughs> You've almost ruined the show with your pettiness. My change, uh, for the record, is I don't like how small the knot he does on his tie in front of the mirror. <laughs> but are you being serious? Genuinely. <laughs> because it drives me mental. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember I told you there's something that, like, one of the only things I remember from my parents is like, don't wear what, don't trust a man in white socks. Uh-huh. And from my dad, do not trust a man whose tie is too small or not and the sh- it's too short. Mm. And I can't. If someone ever walks up to me and the tie is not correct, he was, a, he sounds like an army man. He wasn't an army man, but he was a real stickler for something like that. And I can't cope with it. I just, it's in my child brain to not trust that person. Yeah, I, it's uh, it, it's upsetting because I'm like, it's a great scene and he's really great in it when he's listing all the jobs that he might make up. But I'm thinking... It's just you and a mirror. You could do that scene again, John Cusack, do and you could get properly. the tie right because yeah. it's it's like it's like he's never done a tie before. It's so small. It's an mm. ugly, tiny peanut knot. Peanut. You know when people at school, when you were walking down the corridors and like older kids used to grab your tie and go, peanut, mm. and tighten it so much that you could never undo it. It's almost like that, but he's done it himself. Anyway, that really annoyed me, but uh, Chris is still pettier. Right, uh, that is uh, pretty much the end. Um, who's doing the quiz for this one? Because it's not me. It's me. Um, and, you know, last week you mentioned that you like a bit of karaoke. I do. We've been talking a lot about music uh, of this film this week, and there's a lot of great music in the next episode. We're going to be talking about Romy Michelle. So, we are having a 1997 reunion, Oh, people. wow. Okay. So, you know, in 1997, we were hitting the bars and clubs and discotheques of... Of Blackburn. Of Blackburn <laughs> Leeds, and, Leeds. and York and Leeds. Yeah. There's only one place I went. And uh, so I looked up the top 20 hits of 1997. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you... I'm going to read you the lyrics. I want you to tell me the artist. Okay. These are the top 20 hits of 1997. Exactly. Oh, okay. So okay. In the UK. In... in the UK. Okay. The These are all 20. of them. So there's 20 I'm going to do six. Okay, good. I'll do six. Say, 20 seems a lot. Starting off with the number one single of 1997. Uh-huh. This right here goes out to everyone that has lost someone that they truly loved. Oh, my God. Um, Come on. Get... Check it out. Oh, fuck's sake. It's... Um... Seems like yesterday we used get... to rock no, the show. Shit, shit, shit. I lace the track, you lock the flow. Why can't I remember it? It's in, it's in Gangster's Paradise. Not in Gangster's Paradise. No, it's not in Dangerous Minds. Can't go forever. Wait, wait, wait. I know it. I know it. It's got Sting. It's Sting's in it. Why can't I remember it? I need, I'm just, I need the rapper's I'm just name. To you it. This, this right here is going out. <laughs> oh, and you should like this. Hell. <laughs> I'm going to go with Puff Daddy. Shit. <laughs> sing it. Sing it. Oh shit! Yeah, it's I'll, I'll, I'll be missing you by yeah. Puff Daddy. It's oh every breath you take. Oh okay. god! Did I, say, yeah. I get half a point now because I said Sting. No, you so don't. I do. No, I don't think you do. Uh, no, because it's Faith Evans actually oh my god, that my sings heart on the is song. racing. I'm so angry. <laughs> it's Faith Evans, not Sting. <laughs> All right. So this song, the next one... I just uh, called it Take My Breath Away, so I get no points. <laughs> uh, the next one, and all I'm asking for is the artist, not the song title. Uh, this was the number four best-selling single. You and me, we used to be together. The one that dies. The you and me Every song. day, together. I've said it already. Always. Oh, no doubt! Yes! Oh, correct! Ah! <laughs> it's those people, I no doubt. Yeah, you didn't say the right one already, though, did you? <laughs> one nil. One nil. No, All right. Half one. <laughs> this was the number 10 best selling song. Um, you have so many relationships in this life, only one or two will last. You go through all the pain and strife, then you turn your back and they're gone so fast. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to say that is okay. Umbop 
by Hanson. Oh! oh! I love that song. Yes! I was once on a uh, countdown of the uh, the 100 worst songs ever on That's Channel, not in it. Channel 4. It's a brilliant song. Uh, the worst yeah. one-hit wonders or something. Anyway, and... Um, and I, I defended Hanson, and I was like, I disagree. I Great. think Bob is a brilliant song. Brilliant. Uh, my XFM inbox was <laughs> literally full of Hanson fans going, yeah. we saw what you said, thank you so much Agreed. for defending Hanson. Yeah. Bless. Yeah. Quite right. Yeah, it's a great song. All right, well, halfway through the quiz, this was the 11th best-selling single. This was a double A side, and this is one where I didn't even have to look up the lyrics, I'm so embarrassed to say. Um, she used to be my only enemy and never let me be free, catching me in places that I knew I shouldn't be. Every other day I crossed the line I didn't mean to be so bad. Was it Shakespeare's sister? I never thought you would become the friend I never had. So this is the best-selling artist of that year as well. Take that. Nope. It is Mama by the Spice Girls. Oh, that's why, did you, why did you not have to look at the lyrics for Because you love Spice Girls. I really like... Oh, oh. Long story. Uh, all I'm, right. I don't mind the Spice Girls, but that is their worst song. Mama, I, I love you. Mama, I care. Yeah, it's awful. You're my friend. All right. This was number 17. Stop right now. Thank you very much. That's a song. This was a big one. This was a big one. Number 17, but I can't believe it wasn't top five. I thought I saw a man brought to life. I know this. He was warm. He came around like he was dignified. I thought I saw uh, Natalie and Bruce. Yes. yes! <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so it's one one, and we're up to the final track. One point five one. Just so you know, this was the twenty fourth best selling single of nineteen ninety seven. Step off the train, all alone at dawn. Back into the hole where I was born. Oh, I know this. I know this too. But the I... sun in the sky never raised an eye to me. Oh, the Chemical Brothers. Nope. Oh. What? The blood Don't on worry. the tracks that they must be mine. The fool on the hill and I feel fine. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, oh, wait the day I called the train. You got oh, it. Oh, yes! I was going for ocean colour scene. So, Asus, do you know what I mean? That is fair enough. Well played, Vicky. <laughs> Yep, that was fun. That's good. I, I'm glad you won. I don't think I'd have felt good about winning that. Why? And also, because it's I, just because you really love things <laughs> like that. He thinks he's too cool. He thinks he's too cool. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't listening to that in 1997. Yeah, you, you, you won. Where's Faith No More? <laughs> <laughs> so the clue I'm giving you for the next week's episodes is: revenge is a dish best served. Dead-ish. Uh, that is us done this week. We are back on Thursday for Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Uh, did you want to read that email now or do you want to do it on Thursday? Do it Thursday. Do it Thursday. All right, we'll do it on Thursday. we got an email for Thursday. That's something else to look forward to. <laughs> uh, please do rate and review us and subscribe to us uh, if you can, wherever you get your podcasts. It's really useful to us and it would mean a lot. So thank you very much. See you on Thursday for a bit more reunion action. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.